You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as you always do. And thus begins our review. Here to join me today for this podcast, I have Dan Bear. I'm so sorry, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Brendan Hodges. Don't believe his lies. Okay, so Memento in the year 2001, even though it came out in 2000, uh, for the two, 2002 Academy Awards, it had a very, very long lifespan, was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Original Screenplay and also for Best Film Editing, which it did not win. Now, guys, given the awards trajectory for Memento over the course of, like I said, from the time it premiered at Venice, then it goes on to win the Screenwriting Award at Sundance, it almost sweeps the Independent Spirit Awards that year. Nolan is nominated for a DGA Award for Outstanding Directing uh, for a Feature Film on only his second feature film. I mean, this movie did pretty damn well. When you look at like all the Critics Awards, it was nominated for the Critics' Choice Award for Best Picture. It won screenplay from CCA. Like, don't you guys feel that this movie should have gotten more awards love than just the two nominations it received? Oh, oh, wow. You're really committing to this. <laughs> you get it now, don't you? We got it from the start. <laughs> I'm just wondering how long you're going to commit to this for. I have a whole outline here, Dan. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, then. Yeah. So this obviously deserved more nominations than what I got. The problem was 2001 was an insane year for movies, particularly original movies that captured people's imaginations like this. Yeah, I completely agree. It was a very, very stacked year. I think if this had contended for the year before instead, I think it would have had maybe an easier time uh, seeing as how, you know, in this particular year, to your point, it's going up against movies like Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Moulin Rouge, A Beautiful Mind. It was really, really tough, I think, for it to crack in there. Well, I mean, it should have cracked in there against A Beautiful Mind, but we don't need to talk about that. No, no, I understand that for sure. But <laughs> I also think, too, a lot about how Nolan was not an established name like he is today. And so this was very much kind of like an explosive film, much like how... Pulp Fiction was to Quentin Tarantino, but but this wasn't even on that level. Like it didn't capture the zeitgeist. It was a cult film at the time of its release, so it took time to really build up uh, momentum and steam. I mean, most people on the face of the planet didn't really even know who Christopher Nolan was until he did Batman Begins. So, considering I think like when I look at like I said its entire awards run in general, like all these screenplay prizes. All these mentions for picture, director, you know, it's like the critics knew what was up in 2001. And I'm actually kind of impressed that even the Academy uh, went so far as to nominate just even for the two awards that it did, considering, you know, what a small 
indie film it was at the time. Yeah, it's what we would call today like a cool nomination. Right. And the other big thing I would have potentially thought it in contention for, of course, is directing, as we've talked about. And other than A Beautiful Mind, sorry, Dan, all the other options are very clear directorial Mm -hmm. feats of one kind or another. You know, um, Fellowship of the Ring is undeniable. And many of the other options there, the other four nominations, are all by very tenured, very established filmmakers who had accrued a great deal of respect and love by the Academy. Yeah, there's a lot of legends nominated this year. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. Nolan was the new kid on the block. And Memento, and we'll talk about this more, but Memento is kind of an interesting movie when you think about what's its main achievement. Is it the directing? Is it the editing? Is it the screenplay? And obviously, I personally think it's kind of all of the above in equal form. But it's easy to see at, at the time, oh, this is really a feat of writing and of editing. It's not enough of a feat of obvious direction to go up against Black Hawk Down or The Fellowship of the Ring or Mulholland Drive, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I also think, too, that to answer your question in terms of, like, what is the true accomplishment of this movie? I personally do think it is the screenplay. And I say this because while I'm not trying to diminish the work of Dodie Dorn, who was nominated for editing or of Nolan's directorial abilities, this movie just does not work if the structure of the screenplay does not work. And miraculously so the way that this movie unfolds its story, it can be very, very super confusing but it does something that like very similar to what Nolan did on the prestige, where by the time you get to the end, it all just clicks into place and it all makes sense. And it makes you want to go back and rewatch it again. So to me, it is one of the most uh, magical films I've ever seen in terms of it pulling off like a legitimate magic trick right before your very eyes, uh, because I, I will never forget my first viewing watching this. I was disoriented. I was confused. I was having a hard time following it. But I felt like Lenny while watching it, <laughs> which is which is deliberate. That was exactly what Nolan wanted the audience to feel. And yet it has this super alluring quality to it that makes you want to go back and revisit it and watch it again. And I think that that element of it all stems from the screenplay in in terms of like Dodie would not know where exactly to transition from the black and white and color if it wasn't there in the screenplay. I mean, there there are these moments that are uh, put into it that uh, like 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 the like the flashes of him and his wife uh, in the incident or his wife with the diabetes or something along those lines like that. Those are pieces of editing, I would I would argue. Well, yeah, but Nolan has also been like very clear since the movie came out that everything in this movie was in the script and it was very carefully scripted. Exactly. In terms of like how it's structured, where each scene breaks, how much we see of the overlap between them, that's all down to the screenplay. And if if I'm being honest, I think it's much more worthy of a nomination for the screenplay in than it was in editing, frankly. <laughs> I, I think that uh, the Academy at the time, and like I said, this is not to diminish the editing work, but I just don't think they knew the difference so they 
honored it in both areas. Not that it's a poorly edited film at exactly. all. <laughs> I just I just personally think that there's not there's more interesting work um going on elsewhere that I would have liked to have seen nominated. Now I gotta ask you and, and be honest with me. Please be honest with me. Are you voting for Gosford Park over this? When you look at this lineup of Gosford Park, Amelie, Memento, Monsters Ball, and the Royal Tenenbaums? This is one of the best original screenplay lineups that I can think of. There is only one stinker, and I can even see why that one got nominated. But, like, I'll be honest, it doesn't belong in this category. It is an adapted screenplay. Josh, I'm sure you have an opinion on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would not vote for Gosford Park. I don't really like that movie. Um, it's mostly because I don't like Julian Fellows. I, like, ugh. Downton Abbey, I think, is one of the worst televisions ever made. So, <laughs> I saw that first season of Downton Abbey, and I was like, this is what everybody's falling over. This is trash. <laughs> so, no, would not vote for Gosford Park. I think Memento, for me, is very clearly the best in, in this category. I think it is an exceptionally written movie. I do love the concept that it creates. And I think it really is just a feat of not just, just writing, but just storytelling in, in general. I just think it's so creative and, and innovative and unique that it, for me, it is clearly my favorite in this group. Well, my, you know, going back to what Dan was saying earlier though, do you think it deserves to be in this group or should it be an adapted this year? I mean, that is definitely a question that came up during this season. I I remember that it was something where, like, they figured that the story that it was based on from Jonathan Nolan wasn't, like, technically published, right? Yeah. I think that was the Not thing. Yet. Yeah, no. it hadn't been published yet. He gave the story to his brother, and he was like, Christopher was like, this would be a great film. We should make a film out of it. And they did. And then after the movie was made, it got published. Yeah, which I feel like going it's by kind the of Academy like rules today, yeah, it would absolutely be qualified as adapted considering what they what it seems like they do um, presently. So, I mean, but then again, they also thought Whiplash was original, so, you know. Hmm. I, I, yeah, it was just very inconsistent. Or adapt, no, they thought it was adapted instead of original, which like ugh, whatever. Well, just to add in terms of original or adapted, it would have been conceivably possible for the screenplay to get written by Jonah, Jonathan Nolan's conversations with Nolan. And then Jonah never went and wrote the short story because he was in the process of writing it. But to my understanding, Nolan, Christopher Nolan had never read it to my understanding of the mythology of the inception of Memento Ooh, unintended. Pun, yeah. Sorry. Oh God. I love it. <laughs> and but the, the famous story he always tells is they were road tripping across the U S I think for following. And the, Jonathan Nolan told his brother the story and then Nolan had a light bulb go off and he went off and then wrote the screenplay based on that conversation. So it wasn't based on pre-existing written material it was based on an idea that his brother had, and hence he got credit. So in fairness, I do think it is kind of blurring the boundaries a little bit. But I, 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 this is the rare case where I could see sound arguments for it to be included in either category. My favorite thing about this, though, is that this is what makes Jonathan Nolan an Oscar nominee. <laughs> yeah. Of everything else that the guy has done in his career, it's... <laughs> Something that 
he really did not probably have a hand in this other than saying, hey, here's my original idea. And Chris being like, hey, can I make that into a movie? <laughs> sure. Oscar, not me. It is a hell of an original idea. Oh, yeah, you know, totally. To be fair. Yeah. And it was strategic as well, you know, that they probably lobbied for this a little bit because um, Adapted was wildly competitive. Oh, yeah. Well, I look at the nominees in that other category and it's like, well, congratulations, uh, Shrek, on that nomination as a result. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a really worthy nomination, too, in and of itself. So it's like I look at the other nominees here and it's it's crazy how the winner in Adapted Screenplay this year is actually the worst of all the nominees. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And like Shrek, yeah. I mean, you could, Shrek was probably closer to a Best Picture nomination this year than Memento was. So I mean, in a year of <laughs> 10, true, it would have yeah. made it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although I, I would argue that maybe in a year of 10, I think Memento still would have gotten in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it would have. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of things here. Uh, this was a very like you look at a lot of the nominations across the board here and like a lot of films did extremely well. Like Amelie would have gotten in Black Hawk Down would have gotten in like there's a lot of possibilities that you could go with this year. But I but I do believe Memento with a screenplay and editing nomination like that makes sense to me in a year of 10. Um, not to mention, as I was saying earlier, in terms of its precursor run, it was doing really, really well. I mean, like I said, there were so many citations throughout the season for Guy Pierce, for Nolan, for the film itself. And so I want to ask about Guy Pierce in terms of do you feel that his performance was worthy of the best actor consideration or, you know, do you think he was because he's never been nominated still to this day? Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. I genuinely think he's incredible in this movie. And every time I watch it, he's sort of like the revelation. Like, I always remember how much fun Carrie Ann Moss and Joey Pantoliano are. But <laughs> there's something about his performance that every time I see it, it feels new and fresh. And there's something about it that I, some little detail that I will have forgotten. And I think that it's really kind of incredible how how well he plays this incredibly tricky part. And the more times I've seen it over the years, like noticing little things like how he kind of regresses as the movie goes, like it's really, it's really a fascinating performance. I think he just got the short end of the stick with all these like legends or soon to be legends getting nominated this year. He was also, I think, the very definition of a critic's pick where the industry just wasn't mm -hmm. on board yet. But it yeah. feels weird considering the success of L.A. Confidential that like it's not like he was a newcomer. You know, that was his real breakout role, I would imagine, for Academy voters. So you would think that they would have been more on board with this. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's just a performance that is not flashy enough for a broad audience. 
but how he does choose to play it is essentially perfect. Yeah, I mean, like, what would have the Oscar clip have been from Memento? Right. I mean, and I agree. I think his performance is extraordinary. And speaking of LA Confidential, obviously Crow got in as well. And, you know, they kind of blew up around the same time with that. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll mention about Pierce's performance is that it's really, really tricky, as Dan says. He has to chart an emotional arc through two different strands of temporality and causality while he's he needs to react always as if he has no future and no past and he's always in the present how do you do that as a performer how do you always seem to be in the present and create an emotional journey as an actor um it's such a delicate balance and People always talk about how Nolan's movies are cold and clinical, etc. And as obviously a big fan of Nolan's, I've never found that to be true, especially on rewatches. And I think Pierce here is so incredibly soulful and rich in so much of what he's doing that your heart breaks for this guy as the film unfolds my only question would be if he were to be an actor who would you remove from the category because it is a very stacked list i've never seen i am sam so i can't comment on that that is your answer I, i'm gonna tell I, you right I, now yeah. he 100 yeah, sam it's john penn <laughs> it's, okay. it's so it's so bad but it's also like especially at the time that role was so fucking baity that there was no way he was ever going to miss so i right. doubt that he was actually number five in that category number five in that category probably honestly was will smith interesting hmm yeah i guess for the time it makes sense it's easy to look back on it and assume that it was sean penn but uh, yeah i mean ali did well though in getting other nominations besides uh will right like uh, john foyt also got in yeah oh wait that was it right it didn't get anything else that was it and like Mm. in the bedroom had a best picture nomination yeah Everyone else in that cast got nominations, so Tom Wilkinson is locked. <laughs> Russell Crowe's the Best Picture winner, and Denzel Washington won. He almost won. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is between Sean Penn and Will Smith, and for those reasons, yeah. Oh, that's – oh, damn. Could you imagine we'd be waiting this long for Will Smith if he didn't get in here for Pursuit of Happiness at that point? I mean, who knows? Maybe that would have been a, more of a campaign for him to win that year in that case, actually. Maybe. To answer your question, Brendan, the Oscar clip is very obviously, okay, I'm chasing this guy. <laughs> oh, he's chasing me. <laughs> I can imagine, like, the audience just laughing when it cuts to, like, Guy Pierce sitting in the audience then. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, Nolan, director, would you put him in? Mm, I know. Oh, I would. I mean... I would over Ron Howard. I would not because I would put Jean-Pierre Genet in over Ron Howard. Okay, so you have another preference over Ron. Yeah. Okay, got it. I would. See, for me, Memento was like one of my favorite movies of all time. So, like, naturally, I'm going to say yes. And, and also, I'm sorry, but like, it still boggles my mind to this day that Buzz Lerman was not nominated for Moulin Rouge in Best Director. Like, if any film this year was a visionary product of its director. <laughs> True. 
Yeah, well, I'm personally fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying, like, regardless of like the relative quality of his work, it's strange that that man did not get nominated for this film. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's very very surprising that he he missed out, but. I still would personally make room for Nolan here. I do think that while you can look at the film as a maybe slightly stronger achievement in writing, I think that the way that Nolan does assemble all of these elements in this narrative to present it to an audience is still pretty remarkable. And I think that for me, that definitely deserves recognition in a directing lineup. I also think he made, you know, a relatively small budgeted film like this just looks so damn good. And there's so many memorable frames and shot sequences that I'm like, man, you know, it's one thing to write it on the page, but then it's another thing to come up with it visually and have certain things stand out. Not to mention, too, you know, every time there's a scene transition uh, from the color to the black and white sequences, they have to, like, leave off those scenes with either um, an image or a sound or something that's going to linger in your brain. So at this way, when they come back to it later, you're like, oh, yeah, that's where we last left off, you know? And I just think that you can only achieve that through directing in this case and, you know, a little less so the writing uh, piece of it. Yeah, none, none of that is on none of that is on the page. I mean, I, he figured this trick out in following because mm, following yeah. is nonlinear and he finds all these really memorable points of geography Mm -hmm. so that when we return to these places, they instantly spring to our mind. Like in following, there's this one really memorable door that has Mm -hmm. all these glass circles on it. And Memento, he turns that into a whole methodology where he finds these really specific kind of almost iconic tableau like images to linger with us. Um, whether, you know, it's the bottle that he's holding when he falls asleep on the bed, <laughs> um, the silos that kind of bookend the movie by the murder location. There's all these things that constantly orient the, the inn he's staying at. There's all these things that constantly orient us in space and time. And another thing that it does directorially that I think might be underappreciated is that the movie weirdly enough for the little amount of action it has for a very limited budget, it does feel extremely visceral and physical and the camera moves and it does feel very cinematic. It feels like it's taking you on this kind of journey. And obviously this is Nolan's first collaboration with his old primary cinematographer, Wally Pfister and his work is all over the movie. His signature is very, very present and I think that collaboration is what gives the movie its key directorial kind of atmosphere and vibe that you always know where you are. And if you don't know what's happening, it's on purpose. I also think to the uh, utilization of the color blue in the movie as another directorial choice that's very strong. Um, It could have been done in a way that would have been a a little too, um, I would say, overly obvious and maybe slightly pretentious but i think it actually is very subtle and just always feels part of the world in an organic way uh but yet we know obviously the thematic um resonance of the color blue is memory and so that i think is something that you know once again 
it, it's not like he has a line in the screenplay that says everything needs to be blue. <laughs> you know, that that comes through in the directorial vision and in working with the different departments and figuring out, OK, I want this piece of the co- of, of the clothing to be blue or I want this piece of the production design to be blue, but not not all of it, you know. So, yeah, I think he definitely deserves to be in here. I'm curious to know, coming off of the success of The Matrix, why do you guys think Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano didn't gain traction? Because you would think that they would have, like, some level of industry clout at this point in time in their careers. Having been, like, very, like, overly into this Oscar race at the time, Memento, the only awards conversation was about the screenplay and Christopher yeah. Nolan that that's where it began and ended that was the standout element that everyone had pointed out and because because it was an independent film hmm. i really think that was why like they still had trouble breaking through if you were not you know miramax <laughs> and it's also pretty like genre too you know yeah. like, on the surface it's a kind of i mean it's Obviously, a neo noir. Yeah, it's it is a noir. It's a thriller, and I think that for a lot of people, especially around this time, if you weren't just a prestige drama, that was always going to be an uphill battle, especially in terms of recognizing performances. Which, which is why I think at the end of the day, it gets in for screenplay and and it gets that editing nomination. But I really feel like anything outside of that and and particularly trying to appreciate the performances was always going to be a struggle with the general Academy. Yeah. And they already had a genre pick this year, right. In training day as, you know, another sort of neo-noir uh, slant of a movie. And, and another thing though, about the performances, and I think they're both very, very good. The best or worst thing about how you could characterize many of Nolan's supporting characters. And I think this is, felt most obviously in Inception and Oppenheimer and in the Dark Knight trilogy to some extent, those supporting performances are mostly there to facilitate the journey and emotional arc of the protagonist. They are not there to have their own interior lives with their own little character arcs for the most part. That said, these two are the most vivid he has ever had. I would argue in any of his movies, maybe other than the prestige. I don't know if I go that far. I think they're very, very good to to be completely clear, but like both performances are doing something very specific. This movie requires them to do, you know, other than the, for example, um, like Ethan Hawke in training day or Ben Kingsley or Ian McKellen in fellowship. These are performances that are, dimensionalized and fully well-rounded human beings on film. That's not how Nolan tends to write a lot of his supporting characters. Um, And I think you feel that in Memento as well. And and to Dan's point, they are excellent performances. I just think that's a consideration that creates the impression they're not as impressive feats of acting as they might actually be. All right. And then the only other category I would call out here, um, I particularly really love the score for this film by David Julian. And I really would love to find a way to get it in here somehow. Cause every time I watch the movie, the score just always manages to stir up some level of emotion in me that always seems to take me by surprise. 
Yeah, remember when Christopher Nolan had subtle music in his movies? <laughs> what a time. Truly. Before he met Hans Zimmer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the time. You know what? I don't mind taking out the beautiful mind score or like taking out the AI score and letting John Williams go only nominated once this year. <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, I do like those scores. Like even a beautiful, yeah, know, like, not a great movie, but I I think that James Horner score is really good. It's like I think that they're both deserving of the nomination. But like, if you really want to get it in there, <laughs> yeah. But I actually don't have a problem with this score lineup. I actually think it's pretty strong overall. I don't like have a problem with it either. But I mean, if I had to remove somebody, I probably would remove Randy Newman. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Listen, he won that year in the song category, so I'm not really. The music in Monsters Inc. is so much fun. Though. Yeah, Ugh. it's just not my kind of music. That's all. All right. Anybody else? No, I think those are really the only categories. I mean, outside of, you know, picture, obviously. But uh, yeah, outside of that, I wouldn't really mention it in too many other places. All right. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our review for Memento here on the next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the over two-hour-long full-length review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Pictures Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. You don't know who you are. Hey Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon